Shall we pray? Jesus. Father, we thank you. We want to bless you. We want to be in your presence, Lord. Teach us. Lord, I pray, inspire us. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, let your word go forward with power. Let it transform us. Let it bring healing. Let it bring the love of heaven, we pray. We just open ourselves up to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finish Hebrews Heroes this week. We never really got the captioning thing. We're supposed to go up, you know, Hebrews Heroes. Big tea bag. <laughs> it's the image I had of this big tea bag in this cup of this person on a string, you know. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> Next time. If you've got your Bibles there, do you want to flick over to Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we find our Hebrews heroes. And I was reading through the list of the people in there and what they did, and, and it can be a little intimidating. When you see what they went through and what they accomplished, you sort of, you can feel small. So let's read it and feel small for a bit and then we can feel big again. We'll miss all the the Moses and the Abrahams because, you know, they're just totally intimidating sometimes. You go to Hebrews 11 verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down when they're encircled for seven days. So there's Joshua out there with all the Israelites and they walked around and the walls fell down. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did believe, who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what, what, what more can I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, not the magician type. They were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered around in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All of these obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. When you read that, you can feel small. You know, they pulled down whole cities. They came face to face with lions and had no issues, survived it. Dead were raised, some were tortured. They say of Peter that he was crucified upside down on the cross because he wasn't, didn't see himself worthy to be crucified the normal way. Because, you know, you just handle your crucifixion like that. Yeah, they overcame whole armies by walking out and singing songs.
they'd get thrown to lions. And some of them would say, actually, we don't want to be delivered from the lions. We actually want to die martyrs for Jesus. And so they'd say to this, the, the church, don't pray for us because we want to be a martyr. It's for some of the martyrs. That's what it says there. Some of you are frowning at me. That's what it says there. Listen to this. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they had the choice. They could have been delivered. And they chose not to be. They said, no, no, I want to be tortured for Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really fit into my book. <laughs> All right? You know, when I, write out the, when I worked out the script for my life, a part of that is not, hey, yeah, yeah, torture me. That would be cool. But this is what these people went through. And when you read that, it can really go, you know what? They're pretty amazing and I just don't make the grade. I don't know if I came face to face with lions, if I'd be expecting an angel to turn up to close their mouths. I don't know if, you know, I was sawn in two, I'd expect to come back together. I mean, John, they dropped the guy in oil and pulled him back out and he just smiled at him. Boiling oil. They dropped him back in again and he came back out. Sort of, how's your day going? They couldn't even cook the guy. They had to exile him. And it's not just what you read in the Bible. History is actually full of these people all the way through. We don't hear much about them. See, if you, in, in the sort of Catholic tradition, you hear a little more about them because they've kept the records and, and they hold a bit more to that. But we, we've lost a bit of that in our move away from that sort of church. We've lost a little bit of history of these people because, you see, what we do is we go, oh, well, you know, everything has to be, you know, practical. If you can't work it out in your mind, then it can't be true. I, I had a... I had a privilege, it wasn't a privilege. Um, I had to sit through a guy this week who for an hour and a half, um, he described himself as a God-fearing atheist, which just doesn't work. And his whole talk for an hour and a half just didn't work. This guy had redefined every word in the dictionary to suit him. He'd redefined love, he'd redefined faith, he'd redefined what he called religion, he'd redefined God. And then he had this whole theory about how he believed there was a God, but God, essentially God had to fit within his system. And he had all these circles, and for an hour and a half he prattled on about all these things, and every time he ran into difficulty, he just redefined words to make it all work. And what he was trying to do was make God fit into his thinking system. Yeah, I know there must be a God out there because there's things I can't explain, but it's not the God that the Christians talk about because he doesn't fit within my circles. And everything was relative. Truth was relative according to your experience. So we had a little bit of fun and asked him a couple of questions and he just contradicted himself and then we told him he contradicted himself to which he noted and yeah, it went on. But this is, this is how we've become often in the church is we sort of go, if it doesn't fit within how we can think, then it can't be God and it can't be true. But that's not how God goes. God says God has to be bigger than our thinking. Otherwise, he's not God. If I can fit God into my box, then how can he be God? That makes me greater than God because I can comprehend him. But I can't comprehend God. You know, I think I know something about God. But then the more I think about what I know, the more I realize I don't know. 
I just keep ending up with more questions. And you see, the world says, well, that can't be good if you've got more questions than answers, you know, so therefore it can't be true. You know, a person can't walk on water. A person can't be thrown in a lion's den and not be eaten. You know, you can't part waves. You can't part rivers. You can't part seas. It's not possible. So therefore, it's a whole lot of fables and it's not true because it doesn't fit within our thinking. But that's the awesome thing about God. And the problem is that we approach something like this, we read Hebrews 11, we read about these amazing people and what they did, and we go, that's bigger than my thinking, and I, you know, I'm just intimidated, they must be super spiritual. But you know what? They weren't super spiritual. They were ordinary people like you and I. In fact, James talks about Elijah, and it says, you know what? Elijah was a man just like us. And if you don't believe me, it's just like this. These kids walked out and they called him Baldy. So first of all, the guy was bald. Like they say, they don't put marble tops on good bench, on cheap benches, do they, Ken? <laughs> so the guy was bald. You know, I mean, he's not, he's not walking around being, hey, I'm Mr. Attractive. All right? Because Paul can be attractive, but I don't think it was with Elijah because they called him Baldy and picked on him. They had a go at him. So there was nothing about him in the natural that you looked at that sort of went, oh, wow, he's a mighty guy. He was just... And you know what? When they called him Baldy, did he walk in grace and forgiveness? No, you know what he did? He set bears on the kids. He had a temper. And then, then um, you, know, he, you know, he actually gets a bit grumpy. He does the whole, you know, I mean, Elijah gets out there and there's a situation where there's all these prophets of Baal and they're, you know, and they're going, we got the real God. And, and Elijah goes, well, actually, no, i got the real God. And so they say, let's have a contest. He says, cool. So they build these two big stone altars. And then they get these cows, they chuck them on top and they put some wood underneath it and chuck them on top. And, they, and, and Elijah says to the Baal prophets, okay, you guys... If your God's a real God, you call down fire. You go first. You call down fire. And if he, takes up, if he burns up your sacrifice, then you, he's the real God. But if you can't do it and I can do it, then my God's the real God. And so all day, you know, the prophets are out there of Baal and they're cutting themselves and they're flailing themselves and calling out to their God. And, and Elijah is so full of grace. says things like, maybe you need to call louder. He might be on the toilet. That's what he said to them. We sanitize the translation, but that's essentially what he said to them. Maybe he's on the toilet. You need to call a bit louder. And at the end of it, they can't do it. He throws, puts water all over here just to really prove a point, and God rains down fire. All right, and they slay all the prophets of Baal and this great victory. But then the queen gets upset because the prophets of Baal were like her personal sort of thing. And she gets upset with Elijah and this mighty man of God who took on the whole nation. They could have killed him any time he was sitting there. This one woman says, I'm going to get you. And what does this big, mighty man of God do? He runs away because he's scared. And he has a sookie lala. He sits under a tree and goes, oh God, I'm all alone. Nobody loves you but me. 
Why are you doing this to me? And God just sort of, you know, gives a bit of a slap up the side of the head and says, look, there's at least a hundred and something prophets that are hanging around and stop being a wuss. But God ministers to him, refreshes him, and he goes on to his next thing. But he actually gets to the point where he whinges so much, God says, okay, that's it, I'm taking you home. And so he actually takes up Elisha, you know, Elijah, Elisha, to, be, to take over from Elijah. But Elijah realizes that Elisha's going to take over. And does he go, man, yes, I'm raising up a protege, raising up this man of God. You know what he does? He has to get jealous. And he's going, I don't want this guy taking over from me. I want to be the king Peter still. I want to hang around a bit longer. And when it comes to the point where Elijah knows that he's heading up to heaven and, and his days on earth are over, he says, to Eli- Elisha says, he says to Elisha, what do you want? Elisha says, I want to double a portion of what you've got. I want to double anointing of what God's got on you. In other words, I want to be, do what you did and I want to do even more. And does Elijah go, absolutely, you know, you'll be my legacy. He goes, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. If you see me taken up into heaven, then that's what will happen. Now you stay here and I'm heading on to the next town. And Elisha goes, ah, I ain't leaving. <laughs> because Elijah knows he's going up and if Elisha doesn't see him, he doesn't get the blessing. This is this mighty man of God that we revere who parts the water by whacking it with his coat. This is the guy that takes on the prophets and calls down fires from heaven, who stops it raining. This is the guy who you know, just, he's absolutely transforms a nation. He's one of our heroes. And he's got a temper. He's jealous. And he tries to stop the guy, the next guy God's raising up from, from doing what he did so he looks good. So there's a bit of pride and arrogance going. Do you feel a bit better now? This is what the Bible says in James. Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, every one of these guys is just like, we look at David and the amazing king he is and his legacy living forever. Man, the guy got a guy killed so he could steal his wife. He goes and has an affair with this woman. She falls pregnant, so he tries to hide it by bringing the guy back from war. He says, oh, go, 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 make love to your wife. He says, I can't do that. My soldiers are out there. So he has him killed. And then takes his wife. Mighty men of God. The point I want to make is you can be that person that God has called you to be just the way you are. You actually don't have to impress God. He is not up there going, okay, let's see what you got. Because He knows what you've got. You got nothing. I got nothing. Because it's not us that does it. It's him. It's his power. It's his authority. These guys are able to do what God has called them to do because God did it through them. You can't make it happen. Don't believe me? We'll go outside, we'll fill a bucket with water and you split it. You can't do that without God. But when you are in God, you can do it. Nothing is impossible for you. You see, when you start to read this passage and when you start to read the Bible 
as a love book, you start to see that God is not trying to intimidate us. He's trying to love on us. I was talking to Robert earlier, and I was, um, this week I was, I was talking with a Jewish guy. I'd sort of forgotten about this, but um, actually a guy who'd been talking to a Jewish guy, and he was telling me what this guy had said. And, and he says, um, this guy had done a lot of study through the Old Testament. And he was talking about Leviticus. You know all the laws in there? And you sort of read that, and they can get a little bit hard to read and a bit to choke on. But he says, we actually don't, we think the wrong way. We don't understand what God was doing when he gave us all the laws. Because you see, before that, people didn't know how to relate to God. All right? And so this is where you had things like child sacrifice. Or they would take women, or sometimes men, and they would rape them in front of idols, the gods, to try and please the God. Or they would do human sacrifice. Or they would cut themselves and beat themselves and so on, trying to please the gods. Because they didn't know, there was no, no one knew how to relate to God. So what God said was, I don't want all that from my people. I'm not asking you to beat each other up. I'm not asking you to kill each other. I'm asking you to love each other. So let me show you how to relate to me. And that's why we have the law. Because it actually shows us how we can relate to God and how to relate to each other. It's actually love. It's not legalism. It's love. God's saying you don't have to kill yourselves. You don't have to beat yourselves. You don't have to beat anyone else up. All you need to do is love me. And that's why Jesus was able to say, look, all the law and the prophets is summed up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love each other. That's why we have the law. Isn't that incredible? It changes how we see God. That he is a good God who loves us, who cares about us. So how do we walk in this love? How do you walk in the power of God? It's really easy. All you do is you hang out with God every day. And you get more of God in you and less of you in you. All right, And sometimes that goes awry. I mean, this morning I got upset with my family and got a bit loud. Yeah, it happens. I know it's hard to believe. It's my once-a-decade occurrence. <laughs> Let me just repent. Hold on. <laughs> but sometimes it happens. The pressure comes on and we crack a little, Yeah. But the great thing is that we can go to God and ask for forgiveness. And you know how long it takes him to forgive us? Before you've even asked. He's forgiven you. He forgave you even before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. Before the world was even made, you were forgiven. You know, too often we we mess up and and we sort of, you know, we don't want to go to God because we feel guilty. Which is really stupid because he already knows. You know, say we go, oh, God can't see sin. Of course God can see sin. He's not blind. You know, we sing about Santa Claus. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been good or bad. God's bigger than Santa Claus. Someone said that's a little creepy that Santa Claus could see that, but, you know. But God knows everything about you. He's already loved you and forgiven you. 
So when you hang out with him, he starts to renew you. It's not about the religion. And, and you know, it's not about coming with a whole lot of laws. It's about and coming and seeing, oh, I've got to be like that. I've got to be like these people. No, no, no. It's about coming to God just as you are and him making you like that. You don't start in the lion's den. You start by reading your Bible. You start by talking with God. You start by learning to hear his voice. And then he takes you and he grows you every step of the way. And occasionally you mess up and you fall over, but you get back up. And then you start by loving others. And the hard thing about loving others is they usually don't deserve it. You ever notice that? Except for that awesome spouse you've got, I know, but... But most times, it's loving people who don't deserve to be loved. You know, I had to sit there with the guy I was talking about earlier and going on with his philosophy of life. And I sat there and I thought, I can't be mad with this guy because he's just totally deceived. He's searching. And I had a bit of a conversation with him. I said, look, all I can see is that you're looking. You're looking for truth. And you're trying to make it up as you go along. And he's just searching. And you couldn't be mad with the guy. Just felt love and compassion for him. That I hope he finds the truth there is in God. Because he's lost. But the thing about loving is people don't usually deserve to be loved. And you know when it comes to loving people, it's actually usually really difficult. You know, when it comes to doing great things, it's never convenient. Have you ever noticed that? You know, the Israelites, when they're standing at the Red Sea, and it wasn't like, oh, let's go cross the sea. It was, there's an Egyptian army coming to wipe us out. (laughs) Pressure's on, cross the Red Sea. You know what I mean? You know, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing outside the fire furnace that is seven times hotter. It's not a comfortable position to be in. It's Daniel being thrown and face to face with the lions. And he doesn't know if the angel's going to turn up or not. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, look, you know, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we'll still love him. In other words, they didn't know if he was going to deliver them or not. When it comes To loving on others, it's never convenient. When it comes to doing what God has asked us to do, it's not usually convenient. It takes a step of faith to love people. You know, it's easy to get angry and to go off your head, but it's not so easy to hold your tongue and to love. There's a guy called Sadhu Sundar Singh. I hope I said his name right. This guy was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, an Indian guy who um, he, he was brought up as a Sikh, I think it was, and he actually tried Christianity, a few other things, faiths, and he just couldn't find truth. And he said, God, if you're up there, I, I know there's a God up there. I need to know who the real God is, so show me. And one night, God revealed himself to him, and he saw Jesus. And so he gave his life over to Christianity And uh, he would actually walk through India and through areas like Tibet and Nepal and so on, actually sharing his faith. And he was quite a a mystical guy, quite an incredible guy. 
He actually records through some of his journeys that he uh, was walking into the Nepalese mountains and he met a Christian there who was 300 years old and was able to sit down and this guy taught him how to have visions and how to step into heaven and, and how to, to be a real, you know, to walk in the supernatural. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he didn't sing his own praises but saw miracles and healings as he walked through. He would just walk town to town just sharing the love of Jesus everywhere he went. And um, towards the end of his life, he was actually traveling through the, the Himalayas. And often, you know, you're walking along, someone else is walking the journey. And there was a Buddhist monk doing the same journey. And they were heading towards the same destination, this, this monastery. And uh, so they decided to walk together and they're walking. And, and as they got out there, they actually got into a, a bit of a blizzard was starting to blow up. And they said, we need to really move it. We need to get there because if we get caught out in this blizzard, it's going to be very uncomfortable. You know, people die in that. And so they started working on the journey and they're traveling on and, and it's getting cold and biting into their skins and, and so on. Night's fast approaching. And as they were going up this, this steep precipice and this narrow path, they heard a cry for help. And at the foot of the, this, this drop, there was a man who had fallen and badly hurt himself. And the monk looked at Sadhu and he said, don't stop. God has brought this man to his fate as a consequence of his bad karma. He has to work it out for himself. Let's hurry on too before we perish. And Sadhu said, God has sent me here to help my brother. I can't abandon him. I need to show the love of God. And so the monk went on. I'm heading on to the monastery. Don't care. Sadhu climbed down the steep embankment to where this guy was and his legs were broken so he couldn't walk. So Sadhu made a sling out of the blanket that he carried and he tied the man onto his back. Remember, blizzard coming, night falling, mountains of Nepal. So with great difficulty, he climbs back up the cliff And by now, I mean, he's just drenched in perspiration and the effort of climbing up the cliff through a blizzard and it's just getting so hot and it's so hard work. He keeps climbing up this mountain towards the monastery with this guy on his back taking his weight, step by step by step. It's now get to the point where it's blinding, the blizzard is just pretty well in and it's just blinding snow. It takes all he can just to walk the narrow path up this hill. He's got fatigue. He's overheated with exertion. Finally, he sees, just through the blizzard, he sees these lights of the monastery. As he neared it, he stumbles and falls. looks down, and it's not from weakness, it's not from a rock, but he looks down, and there lying on the ground, frozen to death, is the monk that refused to help. And he realises that the only reason he survived was because of the effort it took to carry the guy up the mountain with him. That that extra burden of carrying the load of somewhere else caused his body to be warm and to survive the blizzard and make it to the monastery. And that's how life often is. When we read about these awesome saints who have gone before us, And the things they've done, don't be intimidated, but understand that what they did was they stepped into love. They stepped out and said, what can I do to help somebody else? 
You know, as we step into, as a church, we step into walking in the heavenlies, as we learn to engage heaven. The key part of being able to engage heaven is it has to transform earth. There has to be an outworking. You can, you can step into the heavenlies and you can be worshipping God and you can be taking authority over there, but it has to have an outworking in your life. And these, these guys throughout Hebrews, they could do it. They could step into situations and show love and show compassion and step into what God had for them and do the miraculous and face death. They could do that because they had that God relationship. And they could show compassion and they could show love to the world around them. When Jesus was on the cross, I mean, think about it. You nail me to a piece of wood, I ain't going to be loving you. Because that's just not how it works. It's bad enough when you get a splinter in your finger, isn't it? You know? I had, had Isaac, my, my six-year-old, I think it was yesterday, and... Um, we were walking through the shops and he goes, Dad, my nail hurts. I think he knocked a bit off his nail. It wasn't anything serious. You know, I want a Band-Aid. I don't have a Band-Aid. You know, and it became this, this big deal. Nothing else but the nail wanting a Band-Aid. The Band-Aid wasn't going to do anything, but it was the point, you know. And that's how we do it. I mean, you get a splinter or you get something in your, you know, all you can think about is, oh, it hurts. And yet here's Jesus nailed to the cross. And in moments like that, he looks down on the people that nailed him there and says, Father, forgive him. How do you do that? It comes out of hanging out with God. Spending time with him. Walking in that and letting him transform you. It doesn't come from our own efforts, our own works. It comes from his transformation of our lives. That we work out in love. I really want to encourage you as we continue on this journey of discovering how to walk in the heavenlies, of how to engage God in the heavenlies. I want to encourage you to make love your focus. That allow God to transform you with his love. And let that love work from you to others. Understand that when it comes time to love, it's usually going to be inconvenient. It usually has a cost attached to it. But it's our love that will transform the world. It's our love that will transform the lives of people around us. So let's be known for our love, for our grace for our forgiveness. Because that's greater than facing lions. That's greater than parting waters. In the words of Robin Hood, love conquers all. Or was it Maid Marian? One of the two. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love on us that you have given us love. I pray, Lord, continue to transform us. That, Lord, we may be like the heroes we read about through Hebrews and throughout the Bible in doing great things. But, Lord, that came out of their relationship with you. 
Help us to desire, Lord, to be in your presence more. Help us to desire to be able to engage with you more. That we may be transformed. Lord, not just for a great experience, but that we may be transformed and spread your love here in this world. Lord, those times where it's inconvenient to love, just help us to stop and remember that you are the God of love, that you are glorified through us. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.